breaking it down. Alex Crosby, myself, Chad Belding. Thank you all so much for being here. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast series. Each episode, we just get into a conversation of current event news type situations. What's going on in our communities, our country, our world. Uh, we, we want to talk about it all, whether it's food or music or politics or movies or events that we have been to lately, whether it's the Kid Rock concert or Sturgis or the Jack Daniels barbecue or our visit to New York City, hunting camps around the country. We're fired up. It's breaking it down. Alex Crosby's an unbelievable co-host. I'm proud to call him one of my best friends. And we hope that you're enjoying each and every episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody, Breaking It Down podcast series brought to you by the one and only, the iconic Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey, Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Thank you so much, Jack Daniels, for everything that you do to support our culture and to bring the best whiskey on earth. Whether it's the old number seven, the gentleman Jack, the single barrel, the brand new bonded, the brand new triple mash, the new rise from Lexi and Josh Phillips, the Sinatra, the gold, the flavors like apple, Tennessee fire, Tennessee honey. I truly appreciate every single thing that Jack Daniel stands for. This is another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody, Breaking It Down, brought to you by Jack Daniels. We left last week's episode right here, This Life Ain't For Everybody, Breaking It Down with Alex Crosby across the table. Did you come up with any questions? I don't see you on your phone or a notepad. Like You didn't take any notes? I just have them all in my head. Do you think New York will beat Cleveland night in game five? They had a rain out last night. I haven't watched one inning of baseball this whole year. Did last night on uh, MLB. I, that's, I, I watched two things on TV. First 48 on A&E, which you know about. Mm-hmm. And I watch MLB because I love baseball. And I like I watch college baseball when the World Series is on. A lot of the regional stations on Fox Sports. And I also did just watch the Jeffrey Dahmer, the new 9 Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah, in like three nights. I watched what one a episode. Sick son of a bitch. I didn't watch it. I watched one episode halfway through. I said I don't need to watch this anymore. That was Milwaukee. That happened in um, when the cops showed up at his apartment, and how many times the cops messed up and didn't respond to complaints. One time he had a guy that got out of his apartment, and the cops walked him pretty much back in. A fourteen-year-old boy. Yeah. Crazy stories. I, I really, without spoiling it, I thought that. I didn't realize that show was going to be like a, a reverse. You know what I mean? Like he he was going to get caught in the first episode. Because I remember Clint and I were talking about this. Do you remember that from when we were young, but we weren't like. We were in high school. I yeah. was high school. Yeah. And I remember that case. And I remember hearing, you know, about the cop that pulled him over when he had the body in the trunk. And he yeah. was like half drunk. And dude, so like the guy does his job and it's over right there. I remember that the boy that they brought back. And I thought that was the story that that first episode was. Because, again, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I'm like, this is when they deliver this dude right back to him, you know, and then it turned out not being big. But I, I remember that, too, man. No, How that crazy was the, that, that? Was the, that was the one that that the kid they returned back to him was pretty early in his killing spree. So it was the guy in the back of the car, I believe. Yeah. And, the, you know, how he got caught was. He was started to get he fell in love with his second to last victim is what I took out of, out of the story of reading all of it is that he met a deaf guy at a bar and. um tried to kill him several times, tried to poison his drink several times because that was Dahmer's specialty. And we he would he couldn't do it. And then after they finally got intimate, I feel we were talking about this, but 
um, the guy had to leave because he was trying to be a male model. And he was leaving for seven days to go Chicago, I think. And Dahmer, they were in Dahmer's apartment and it shows, you know, this is this is obviously Hollywood. Right. And it shows him pulling the poison out again and putting it back in when the deaf guy's, you know, getting ready to leave. And he's he would have to write things down because Dahmer didn't know sign. So this deaf guy would write it down. He said, it's only seven days. I'll be back. Just wait for me. So the guy leaves and Dahmer lets him live. Well, he forgot something in the apartment. And by that time, the rage had built up in Dahmer that his guy was leaving him. And that he finally, I think, was feeling like love from somebody. Um, that he hammered him to death when he came back. Did he really? Took a hammer to his head. Oh, my God. Was that the so, guy whose head was in the fridge So when the night that he got caught, the night that he got caught, the day, let me get this right. There was a dead guy on the floor in his room at one time when the cops were in there. You got to watch it. I don't remember all the details. And I was, it's not as scary. It's, it's very detailed and it's hard to take because if you do go back and read about what was found in his apartment when he got caught, it, it's unreal. It's yeah. unbelievable. But the thing about it is, is that his dad had to be half crazy too by the way he brought him up and the way his parents were. Now there's never any excuse for the way this weirdo acted, but he started off with taxidermy. And that's how when he went to live with his grandma, he would pull the wool over his grandma's eyes of the smells coming up. Oh, I'm just stuffing another animal when it was really dead. He was storing dead people down in his grandma's basement. Then he went back and got that apartment in the city. And that's when his neighbor would smell the fumes of cooking body parts and boiling livers and skulls coming through the vents. And she complained many times. Yeah. And she was the one that when they brought the 14-year-old boy, she was outside with him. That's how she really started figuring out what was up with Dahmer. Because Dahmer comes walking around the corner and sees the naked kid. And he's like, oh, he's just my boyfriend. And she's like, he ain't even old enough to be your boyfriend. He's like, he's 18 and he's really drunk. And the cops bought it. And that, and you know, and again, there, I don't know exactly what the cops would have, you know, if it, that's exactly how it happened. Because who, who uh, you know, documented all of this stuff to to catalog it like this and historic historicize it is history what's that word where you where you archive archive it the perfect good one they archived it but you know is it detailed truth i don't know it might be from that black lady that ended up winning an award from the city from the police chief that she did not like and did not approve of their actions but dude this guy was 17 murders i think and they found 13 12 or 13 boiled human skulls plus all the bo- a bunch of other bones livers brains in his freezer and they said he was eating them right i he, mean he not was like, eating body parts yeah not they they allegedly believe he wasn't like eating them like you know a meal but he was like sampling of them like sampling like you said it. he was he would boil something yeah, and he was take doing a bite he was it. doing tastings yeah, <laughs> yeah. freaking whack wine job. tastings ugh That's dude, what, but, i couldn't watch it dude i watched half an episode and i was like i'm i don't i don't want to watch this so that this isn't good for the uh, well, my question to you i guess i don't know we could break down new york through some of this but does how is your opinion what is your opinion on how that teaches the next one like part of this show at the end what really pissed me off is how they celebrated jeffrey dahmer in this show and I, it's probably only because it was facts <laughs> but he's signing autographs for people i know he's getting love mail of from dudes and girls that want to date him when he's in prison they show him opening his mail the first time he they got attempted murder on him, they tried to stab him in the neck 
with a knife or uh, an ice pick or something in prison. And he goes into rehab and goes into the hospital and they bring him his mail. And it's a huge stack of fan mail. Like, why did you have to put that in there? That people are like, I'm in love with you. Congratulations on such a great spree. Um, we want to meet you. Can you send, can you sign your autograph on something and send it to me? Like that's celebrating bullshit. Look at Charlie Manson, dude. Like, yeah. It's char- like char- people idolize Charles Manson, dude. And I mean, he was as sick as they come. Well, that's how he got the people to kill. Well, I don't think Charles Manson ever killed anybody, did he? No, but I mean, he, didn't was, he, he was orchestrating. Didn't he like teach people to go out, like brainwash him to go yeah, out and do it? He had that whole like hippie commune out in uh, California. LA or whatever, close to LA. Yeah. But uh, no, and if you if we knew the truth about all these school shooters are getting the same stuff, yeah, aren't they like trying to be celebrities? Yeah, and that's the whole thing. And I argue that that's a lot of the problem. The media is the media in Hollywood. They make those kids so famous. The ones that don't kill themselves, uh, they make them so famous. The one from the Batman shootings in Colorado, remember oh, yeah. him and Aurora with the colored hair and everything. Yeah. yeah, the the latest one, he's in the news again because they're thinking about giving him just life. In prison without the death penalty, the the not Parkland, uh, no um, Newtown News, uh, uh, no uh, he's that he, I can picture his face got like a pumpkin pie hair, brown haired kid, uh, Nick something. Anyway, uh, yeah, they want to give him life instead of life, and or instead of the death penalty. So he's in the news again. But there'll be a, there'll be a cult of people, you know, whatever there is in the in the U.S. with three hundred fifty million people. One percent of those people think that that's cool that he did that. You know, think of he'll have all those people idolizing him. But the, what's sick is there's more than one percent that. But do enjoy they that idolize stuff. him, or do they want do? Where does it happen to where they'll actually try to do that? That's the scary part. But again, if you think about Hollywood, like every movie we've ever watched from outlaw Josie Wells, you're not going to go put on some six shooters right now and go out and shoot up a Western town. You're not going to go be, you know, you're not going to go hijack a skyscraper and have Bruce Willis come in and save the, the, the office building, you Nakatomi know, on Plaza. yeah, you know, like it's <laughs> like, it's so far fetched, but it just shows you like the mental, how important mental stability is that somebody wouldn't see that. And here's the deal. You either protect yourself and your family or you, make mistakes and get caught, yep. you know, get, get, uh, which is like weird to say, cause that's how serial killers end up getting caught is by making a mistake, you know, or there's somebody that's creating crime. It's a mistake when they get caught. Right. Of course they, but we cannot let our guard down. I, I was at volleyball yesterday and I saw two weird dudes walk by the parking lot and I'm like, huh. First thing that goes off my mind, where's my piece? And What's going on here? Like, do they know who's going in and out of this building? Are they are they watching this building? Because they know that all of these certain age uh, female athletes are going in and out of this. So I'm thinking the, the first thing I do is go to you-know-who and say, this is what you watch out for. You never get out of a car until you got uh, with somebody watching you all the way to the door if you're not being walked. It's all about taking the precautionary measurements to, to do what cops are taught and what military is taught. Watch your six. Know your escape routes. Know where the entrances are. Know what to look for, you know, and situational I'm, awareness, they call situational that. Yeah. awareness. Exactly. And I'm always trying to get better at that. And it's the people that don't care and they let their guard down that boom, all of a sudden I watched an episode of first 48 falling asleep last night. Family, nice neighborhood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, middle of the day on a Sunday, mom's leaving to go pick up her son with her daughter, going to pick up her son from church, from Sunday school. 
met at the garage door that goes from the garage into the house by a burglar. And they didn't have anything locked. They weren't prepared. They didn't have their guns where they could get to them. If they had guns at all, husband gets shot and killed with the family in the house. Now, again, you can sit there and go, dude, we shouldn't have to be worried about that. It's our house on a Sunday. I shouldn't have to worry. Dude, I'm I'm locking doors and setting alarms and putting cameras up (laughs) because I don't, I don't want to die. And they're not going to come and do it when you're, you know, like they're going to put a sneak attack on you. They say most day, most home robberies happen in the daytime when people are at work, people even center in on like weddings and funerals and they get, you know, how they put the dates of the funeral will be this Saturday. Well, they'll go and ransack a house when they know everybody's going to be at the funeral. Yep. It's nuts. Social media, dude, people. One of the dumbest things you could do is, you know, post on your social media at the airport, head to Mexico for the next week. It's like, yeah. You just told everybody, a million strangers out there that you're not going to be home for a week. Yeah. What do you think's going to happen? Right. I mean, you know, all it takes is a half smart criminal to sit in front of your house for a day and make sure no one's watching it and then go break in one night. Yeah. I told you my story, walking the dog, some weirdo, you know, goes through the parking lot. I've walked the dog in the same spot for years. Dude, Dude's in front of me. He's got a pillowcase in his hand. Long story short, we, we come around and now I'm, you know, 20 you know, 15 yards away from him. And I see two handles come out of the pillowcase. I thought it was like a bolt cutter or something. I thought he was like breaking into cars. It was two flicks, two fixed blade knives, dude. And he turns around and he's holding both of them. And I'm standing there with my French bulldog. And I'm like over by your house now. No, over by the restaurant. And I'm, I, and so I, I, I'm walking, you know, and I just, I just hold eye contact with him. And I guess, what's up buddy. And he doesn't say a word to me and, and he stopped. So I got to like walk by him. So I walk by him, and, and as I pass him, he calls me a, 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 an MF-er. And, you know, I just kind of screw, you know, scoot up in front of him, get around the corner. You know, then I take my dog back to my truck, jump to my truck, because I want to go around and make sure he wasn't going to, you know, wasn't doing something. I think he was just, I don't know, mentally screwed up or so what. what? But he don't have the right no. to scare people. So I drove around the parking lot, and freaking, I couldn't find him. It's just, but, you know, like I said, I, I never If you felt- had done something, you'd been the one in jail. That's what's sad. Well, the thing is, right? You can't you can't really do anything until you engage. He pulled a deadly weapon on I you. I know, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't coming towards me. You so didn't feel threatened? Oh, 100%. Well, then you can do something. Sure. Yeah. If, yeah. It would have been a different ca- story. Were you carrying? No. And that's the thing. You walk your dog over there without carrying? I, like 99% of the time I do. And it just was one of those days I didn't probably, not probably, it was in the middle of the summer, you know, had shorts on. Just didn't have it in my waistband like I normally do. It's it was lame, and believe me, dude, I felt. Well, you know, uh, who's the girl, the uh, Adele or whatever? Her dog walker got shot in the chest for two French bulldogs. So I'm walking my French bulldog. Here's a dude with a knife. You Did know, he get and killed. He lived, but he killed him for the dogs. Stole the dogs. Maybe shot it was the uh, dogs. I can't remember. It was Adele. One of the, it was one of those one of those girls. Yeah, dude, shot the dog walker and took both the dogs. He lived. But they, and then she got her dogs back, but you know, yeah, dude. So now, now I never, it's after that day. Cause I really, I felt just completely helpless. I, you know, I had, a, I had a knife too, but I'm not, I'm not fighting a dude with two knives and my dog on a leash. You know what I mean? What are you going to do? So it's like, it's brutal, but yeah, you got to You got to watch. And really I should have turned around when the dude walked in front of me and I had a, a, an opportunity when he couldn't see me and he was you know, we had come around this corner. I should have just turned around, but it's like, 
you don't you just don't expect that stuff like you said you, if you're not aware and you're not whatever it was a mistake that i made for sure if that dude wanted to he definitely could have screwed me up yeah i i often you know, one thing that i tell people is you can never prepare I, no, let me rephrase that. You can never be overly prepared for when it does go down because you you can go out and train in in a in a camp. You could train at a at a shooting uh, facility. You there's places you can run hallways and go into rooms and and you know like a dark room if it's nighttime and somebody breaks in. You can never prepare for the real thing. No, laying there like Bill Burr says in his stand up comedy. <laughs> And the guy's tiptoeing through your house and you wake up and you, just, you know, like there's, 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 and I'm not trying to bring funniness to it, but you just can't prepare for that moment. Right. So when you're outside walking your dogs, you're like, you know, super frow the cat, you're doing Mary Poppins shit out Bro- there. And then all of a sudden, daylight, hundred people yeah, you're around. Not expecting you're, it. Of course not. You got to be ready to roll. Yep. Like, is it Krav Maga to disarm the dude and take the knives away from him? Or now you're taking a chance of one of your arteries getting cut. So you don't, you got to keep distance. Yeah. So now it's like, what do you, if he's coming after you, you got to figure out what you can do. You got to get that dog to safety. You got to pull your piece. You got to freaking protect yourself. And that's the thing is that we got to life is the, the, you know, I don't think I'm old, but I'm definitely not 21 anymore. And life is precious. It's way more precious. It's not more precious. The older you get, it's just more obvious that becomes because you're just not living like a hellion anymore. You know, you're not out there thinking you own the world and that nothing can ever happen. Yeah. People, you know, start to get diseases. The older people that you grew up watching are getting to the age to where they're passing away. You're not going to as many weddings anymore. You're going to more funerals. funerals, You know what I mean? (laughs) So like you, and I'm not like in your forties, I think that that's a still a, a pretty young age, but it's still 15 years away from 60 and 60 is even pretty young, but I want to live. Dude, Les was over here for dinner the other night on no, last Wednesday. He's going to be 82. You'd think he was 55, dude. Yeah. It's just rocking it. It's like, what, what, what are we, what are we really doing if we're not protecting ourselves? You know, that's, we just saw your uncle Lavor, and I don't, he's 70 plus, right. Maybe, maybe close to 80 and, Still ripping around his ranch and hunting deer and, you know, sharp as a tat. Yeah, dude, you want to sharp. Get to, you want to get to that point, right? Where you got a, a ranch in the, in the middle of freaking nowhere and you don't have to, you know, send emails anymore. You just get to take care of your property and hang out with your friends and family and do all that stuff. How many times did he say sons of bitches? Oh my God. Did it's, he? It's, it's every other word. He says it as almost as much as I say the F word. <laughs> Do you, you, do you find yourself slowing, you know, like I just said, the older I get, are you starting to slow down on the F word or is it getting more? No, but, uh, you know, a couple of the cats that were, uh, in camp with me last weekend, it's hard to believe, say it more than I say it. So then I find myself kind of Wait, turning where were it you down. in camp with, with the deer uh, hunt? With Jared and Bubba, yeah. Oh, Jared says it every other half word. So does he Bubba. He can't even get a full word out. And they say, oh, yeah, Bubba's the worst, too. So you almost, like, when you hear someone like that, then I go, man, maybe I should turn that down, down the F-bomb a little bit. I don't want to sound bit. ignorant, but I think the F-word's cool because it can be used in so many different... I love it. ...adjectives and adverbs. And, and, and well, adverb be tough because that ends in L wife. <laughs> I guess you could, um, but uh, verbs and nouns and yeah. pronouns, you like it's everything, like it can do everything, but does it show ignorance or uneducation by using it too much? No matter what audience you're in, is there an excuse to use that much profanity in a conversation to the point to where when you get around an audience or a group of people that it should not be used in, like you, can't you know, an eight it. year old kid around right. that you can't control yourself. Yeah. No, then you're, you, yeah. 
I mean, I don't, I obviously use it quite frequently. And I mean, I know a lot of very successful people that do the same. So it is kind of like, yeah, is it great? No, but, but I don't believe that it, you know, makes you certain, you know, I've heard it before. It makes you sound stupid. Well, sometimes it shows how passionate you are, you know, and sometimes. Well, let's take Tom Rafilio for example. That's who I was just thinking of. (laughs) He's very, he's sharp as a tech. Oh my God. And he uses it, he uses it more than any human being, as, as much as any human being in the history of the world. And really, if you look at all those guys, like the, the, you know, Jacks and Toms and, you know, Tommy Dole and, you know, those guys that they're, they're your normal, intelligent business guy, you know, that's, that's very real and and a very touchable person that, you know, if you could have lunch with, does does Elon Musk say the F word all the time? I doubt it. You know, does Bill Gates? I doubt it. I bet she does. Maybe. Well, Elon's, I don't know. I, I've never listened to Elon's. Did you listen to the Rogan podcast? I never did. No, I didn't either. So I don't know if he's using it on there, but I'd imagine. He's probably a little bit. Who did I just hear say it that I was like, there's no way that that, that he would ever talk like the way. Oh, Lee Greenwood. I was really? at a show in Minnesota and that little dude, he ain't bigger than he's built like that microphone stand. Little tiny dude. And he comes up to another rock star that I'm sitting next to, like a bona fide rock star. And all the rock star dude is ask him a question without cursing. And it was just like, <laughs> and I'm just I like, like it. I was like, yeah, dude. And it was like, it was, it was like, oh, that's refreshing to know that I, everybody's humanized. That's what Howard Stern got so famous for, right? Is that he humanized all these people that never, that never talked about going to the bathroom or sexual, uh, you know, in, in, uh, innuendos or I guess experiences or cursing. Like he got people to talk like human, like we're all human beings. Who Who's, if you don't want to say it, don't say it, but who's autographed all that stuff in yours. That's kind of, it's got, you know, kind of some foul language and stuff in it. In my, in this podcast, no, your collection of music in there. There's a musical artist in there. That's kind of signed. Oh yeah. I ain't saying his name too much, but (laughs) But, that's a good one. Right. I mean, well, that's the thing though, is that people would walk by that and look at that and be like, what is that? And I'm like, yeah, he signed those for me. Well, what, who's that baseball sign? Well, just read it. Like that's the best signed baseball of all time in the history of the world. Right. My, my GB. So like, um, everybody I've been, I've been around so many of these guys First off, you would think that actors would be, you would think, yeah, of course, Robert De Niro cusses an Al Pacino. They say it in all their movies. Right. Well, they might say it so much in The Godfather or in a in Casino or Heat or something that maybe they don't cuss as much in real life. I bet you they do. Oh, yeah. And I bet you that, you, but then you get around a country music guy that that sings songs that are wholesome and family. You wouldn't expect to see that on those, on those albums, right? right? That's the point is right. that you're supposed to be wholesome. You're supposed to be like, well, shit, dude. It's kind of Jerry Reading. I mean, look at Randy Travis. That dude, they were doing so many. Those guys live the rock star lifestyle just like a rock star does. By the way, story, Nashville this past week. I'm in, um, I'm going to watch Chase Rice open for Al Dean. Uh, we're in Lynchburg for the World Barbecue Championship. So all day, I get there Thursday night. Um, we have this little welcoming get together up on barbecue hill get a good night's sleep wake up i got to do class all day well in the morning i got to go register and i got to uh do this little meeting and then i got to go to a kcbs the kansas city barbecue society their their 
classification or their qualification course. It's it's slated for three and a half hours. I'm thinking, man, eh, it'll probably go two hours. They're going to teach us this. Plus, I've been around these pitmasters that, but I learned a ton in this class. I want to say thank you to KCBS and our instructor, Mandy, was awesome. Um, and thank you to Jack Daniels for asking me to judge. But I've been around enough barbecue now that I know brisket, I know, but I was like, man, I'm learning a ton. I'm like, we get to the second hour. I'm like, this chick ain't slowing down at all. We ain't even through page 11 yet. Four hours. We went a half hour longer. Wow. And I had to get over back to the park, to Wiseman Park, where the barbecue is, to do a news interview for the local paper there. And um, so then that night, as soon as I get into that interview, I get in the car and I go another an hour and a half to Nashville. And I go to, I'm getting ready for the Aldine concert in Chase Rice. And we go to the Palms, which is the, st- the little steakhouse, really nice restaurant across the street from Bridgestone Arena. I try to eat there during every show when I'm in Nashville. If there's a show or a hockey game at Bridgestone. So we're in there and it's packed. And dude, I'm sitting there and guess who walks in? Freaking Vince, freaking Neil. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, dude, there's live wire. There's shout at the devil oh, and red man. hot and girls, girls, girls and Dr. Feelgood and kickstart my heart. Oh yeah, And I'm like, he's a bona fide rock god. Like Motley Crue's one of the biggest rock bands of all time. I, I would imagine like Sunset Strip. I'm not saying they're the Stones or Queen. Um, they're not, you know, they're, there's a lot bigger bands, I guess. For but their era, they're they're huge. Huge. They're still touring. Yeah, they're still. Um, and I'm like, dude, I'm never going to be that guy that walks up and bothers somebody at their dinner. But I kind of saw the group he was with, who is exactly who you would assume Vince Neil would be with, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. And, um he makes eye contact with me and I go, you're one of the best ever. And he goes, well, thank you. And I said, I just saw you live in February. He goes, February, we weren't on tour. I said, yeah, Jimmy John private party here in Nashville. He goes, Oh, what a great night. I go, yeah, dude, you got up there. And because I'm, I don't know if I told you that story, but there's this, this eighties band, this badass eighties band gets hired to play this private party from Jimmy John, who's a stud for the hunting industry, and he's got a big voice in it, and he's done well. Congratulations on all his success. He throws a party with Michael Waddell for NWTF, National Wild Turkey Federation. So they hire this eight. I've been talking to Waddell leading up to it because Waddell helps me with my Saturday night party, the one that Clay and I and all the group does, that we raise money for the military. And um, so me and Waddell are strategizing, well, if you guys do it on this night, we'll do this one on this night, da-da-da-da-da. And he tells me about this 80s band that's going to be playing it, and they're legit, dude. Every song, a lot of hair bands, a lot of Cindy Lauper, Madonna. I mean, they do it all in the eighties. So he goes into, he goes into, uh, Dr. Feel good. You know, and all of a sudden this roadie, you know, the roadie comes up on stage to freaking fix the audio and he's got his back turned to the audience and he just reaches over like this. No, I'll do it on this one. He's right here and he's on the right side. He just reaches over and he taps the leads, the, the microphone of the guitar. Like that. And you could hear it coming through the speakers, Papa. And the lead singer looks at him and goes, whoa. And the guy goes, that ain't how you do that. And he turns around and it's Vince Neil. And he goes, no let way. me show you how to do it. And goes right into Dr. Feelgood. Then girls, girls, girls. Oh, man. <laughs> and then, so I tell that to Vince. And he's like, oh, that was a great night. And he's got a house. He's living there now. He's just on the Grand old Opry. Nicest dude in the world like gentle handshake. And I'm like, dude, that is, could you, they made the show, the the movie, the dirt after him. I mean, after the band, right. Have you seen the dirt? Oh yeah. So anyway, that's typical Nashville of just being out, getting ready to go see your buddy, Chase Rice open for Aldine. And the, one of the best front men of rock and roll history is right there. Cause there's not many better than Vince Neil's singing voice. If you go listen to, um, 
Livewire, that album, the first one. What was the the first album called? Come on, dude. It, uh, Come on. I can picture the album cover, but I can't think of what it is. Yes, you can. I can tell you right now. Are you Googling? Huh? I got it right here. Let's see who wins. Oh, I know uh, what I'm doing wrong here. Live Y. Oh, gosh. going to play on my phone. That's not what I wanted. I just listened to it yesterday. I'm an idiot. I know. Got to kickstart my heart. It's one of the greatest ever. Yeah, Livewire. The album is called... Um, had something wrong with my internet, dude. I'm over it. I'm over it, man. It's just Motley Crue. No, Too Fast for Love. Too Fast for Love. I was going to so say too- I could picture the, the belt buckle and all that stuff. Yeah, that, that whole album, Take Me to the Top, Piece of Your Action, too fast for love, but this song right here, dude. Remember this one? Oh, I love it, dude. I listen to it all the time. Vince Neil's voice. A little bit better than I used to be. Uh, I just got to hear the first time and he goes, little bit better than I used to be. Because I'm alive. Dun, dun. I mean, come on, dude. You got, oh, man. you got Mick Mars and you got Nikki Six on the bass, Mick Mars on the lead guitar, Vince on vocals, Tommy Lee, who became world famous with Molly Crew and then you know who. Um, Pamela, I think her name was. I don't know if there's a better drummer. During the Theater of Pain tour, when he got that upside down kit, oh my god, and would get out over the floor on the crane and turn upside down and just, I mean, the dude's unreal good. He, he's like a Travis Barker's, like he is back then. You know what I mean? Travis I heard they're Barker's going on the new, new. a new album and the new tour. New tour, yeah. I just saw that in Nashville on a big billboard. Uh, Tom DeLong wasn't doing well. I guess had some kind of cancer or something, and then is he back? I guess he beat it because he's going to be I back love on tour. Eighty two. They're so good. And his drumming is... Travis Barker's Have you heard that hip-hop album he did? Oh, yeah, dude. All his stuff with Post Malone. He just... It, he strikes me as one of those dudes that he, if he just hears a song, then he could go is play Is he it. with the Kardashian now? Yeah. I don't know which one, but yeah. Don't know which one. Uh, They're all over Times Square in New York. Oh, I'm sure. Find it on Hulu, the whole family. They don't even look real. I've never watched one episode or any bit of their stuff. They don't even look real. They don't look in their promos. They don't look like real people. There's a fun- and, hey, good, entrepreneurial spirit. Go make it. I don't. Yeah. I don't bash on the Kardashians. I mean, it's our problem if we tuned into them every week and then you want to bitch about them. Well, and the one girl's a billionaire off a of makeup. Off a of makeup. Go, me, uh, go get it, girl. I'll tell you uh, my Vince Neil story, and, and I promise I was not there for this. But uh, we just you're going to tell a topper story without even being there. It's not even a topper story. Just a. Uh, it's just my Vince Neil story. We went to Vegas when I was young, like in my 20s, just to party, you know? And it so happened that the AVN Awards were there, the the adult film awards, you know? So we're walking through. Uh, the Bellagio was fairly new, and that's where everybody was kind of like, dude, I saw Slash. Slash was sitting in the, uh, like the front lobby way with a bunch of people, but had his top hat on and everything. Just saw him from like a distance. But we were coming around this corner, and here's this dude – Got his shirt unbuttoned down to his belly button. Two chicks, you know, one on each arm. And I just, I kind of looked at him. I'm like, man, that look at this dude. And then when he kind of came in close, I would go, dude, that's Vince Neil. 
walking right through the down the hotel you know hallway or whatever at the bellagio with a chick on each arm had his shirt all undone going to the avns so i didn't the, talk to him or anything but just seeing him was legit dude. so you're saying you were not there for the avns is what you're trying I to get across not there for the avns bullshit <laughs> um, i wasn't <laughs> the avns are always there the same week of the shot show I believe so. Yeah, well, they yeah. move they move them around a little bit as far as what room they're in or whatever, what hotel. No, well, but. the AVNs are always at the Hard Rock. Oh, are they? I mean, I'm not saying that they all stay there, but that's where the award show is. Sounds like you've been. I, um, no, I'm always at the Shot Show, and I would tell people when you're like the when you're at the Bellagio or at the Wynn or any of those hotels, the Venetian is where we usually stay, which goes right to the Shot Show. You see them in there, and they're it's like. And I'm not trying to sound mean, but it's almost like it's the first time they ever wore heels because a lot of them are tripping. <laughs> like you take them right out of that life they live for so long, and they're in and they're in high heels. Are you and trying you... to say something about them living on their back? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just that they've never lived in a place where they needed heels. You right. know, like slippery like, floors. Well, that and they get caught up in them shiny rugs and all that. But um, yeah, man, it was so. It was just so cool to know that a, a li- like he's a living legend in rock and roll music. You know, he's probably not, I don't, I don't know. They probably are in the hall of fame, but when you listen to that first riff, if you don't, if you listen to this very first rift of right here, just listen to this, please. Oh yeah. Nick Mars right there. So good. And then here comes Tommy. If this don't get you fired up, this should be the theme song of Nashville every year, right? It should. Well, I guess Kickstart would be like motocross. Yeah, Kickstart's used a bunch on motocross stuff. Uh, Remember, if you go back and read about Vince Neil and or Nikki Six, or somebody got in a big fight with Axel backstage at one of the award shows or something, there was a, a big, big blowout, and then like a a career. Um, you know, like they they did not like each other for a long time. I I think that G and R opened for Motley Crue like when they first came out, and I heard a story of Nikki Six somewhere that David Geffen told him to go find another Motley Crue that Motley Crue was signed with Geffen Records. He said, "Go find another Motley Crue, but I don't want the mate. I don't want all the face paint and stuff. I don't want all." And he goes, "There was this band in in L.A. rocking the Sunset Strip all the time, then Guns and Roses, and they were dangerous as hell. But I didn't think that they were going to be the next Motley Crue. And their first album went on to sign, sold thirty million records." He says, "I was asked to produce that record. No, that's what it was. I was asked to produce a record of the band that something about it. You're gonna have to find it." But he goes, "I passed on it." And he said they sold 30 million. He goes, the producer gets about a dollar or two dollars an album. Yeah. And they sold back then, they said there was actual record sales. 30 million. 30 million. Appetite for Destruction, which what? is the best rock and roll album of right. all time. M- Mick Mars is 71 years old. I know, dude. And he's looked 71 since I was 10. Oh, yeah. Cause he wears that white makeup. He's make- cryptic gray looking. And he was the first emo awesome. guy. He's awesome. Oh, my God. I love Molly Crew. Now, he- if you look at their ID, their, their uh, discography, discography, discography. It went downhill quick, quick after I was looking at it. Yeah, it's funny we're having this conversation, but I was looking at it um, at 89 is when they went, we're gone. If you can believe that, well, I'm 14 years old then, 13 years old. 
They had Too Fast for Love, which is way ahead of its time. That had unreal musicianship on it. Then Shout at the Devil, which has got amazing songs on it. Then Theater of Pain with Smoking in the Boy Room. There were several good songs on Theater of Pain. City Boy Blues, Louder Than Hell, um, Home Sweet Home, which was a huge hit for them. Their biggest hit only made it to number six on the Billboard charts, by the way. I looked that up. And then the next year, they had Girls, 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 which had some really good commercial success. Wild Side, Girls, 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 You're All I Need, Five Years Dead. Um, and then the next year, or in 89, was Dr. Feelgood. Yeah. And that had TNT, Dr. Feelgood, Slice of Your Pie, Kickstart My Heart, Rattlesnake Shake, Same Old Situation, She Goes Down, Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away, and Time For... It had tons of good songs yeah. on it. And then after that, it was like, Over. done. 89! Which is... Which is- why, when you look at a band like Guns N' Roses, you can respect them so well, much more. Well, but Guns N' Roses, think about this. 86, Appetite comes out, which has got 12 songs on it with, I mean, songs that people got to understand are unreal. My Michelle, Rocket Queen, Crazy Train. Um, then they take a year off, and then in 88, after the success of Appetite for Destruction, they're touring big time. They put out the acoustic album, Lies, which had B-side acoustics of Patience and I Used to Love Her and um, You're Crazy and One in a Million. And then they mixed that with a live album that had Mama Kin and a bunch of songs on it that were just all like 1985 recordings that were kind of B-tapes, right? Like B-side tapes, but they made a whole album called GNR Lies on that. And that was in 88. And then they took four years off. And at the end of 91, 90, beginning of 92, they finally come back with a huge commercial success of Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. And that was in 1992. So I'm in high school and they're done. They come out with one more album, which was called The Spaghetti Incident, which was all covers of their favorite punk band, punk band songs. And then they break up. Axel and Slash hate each other. Duff's pissed off. Matt Sorum leaves. Uh, Izzy had already left, and Gilby Clark had come in. Gilby Clark hates Axel. They leave. Or no, Gilby Clark got in a fight with somebody else. Him and Axel actually had a pretty good friendship. I believe they just did a, a, another event together. But then it took him 15 years when Axel got with Buckethead, and he had the, he owned the name Guns N' Roses, and he comes out with Chinese Democracy with no Slash or Duff. Steven Adler's already gone. So think about that. They got all this worldwide fame. They just did over a half a billion on this, not in this lifetime tour, way over half a billion now at this international part. It's the second biggest grossing tour in the history of music, all music. And they have like four albums. That's what I was just going to say. That's what's so crazy about them. Motley Crue can't do that right now. Motley but, Crue can't, Motley oh, Crue can't now sell Now I see what you're saying. Now you're on my team. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm on your team. That's like, what I'm saying is when you think about. No, I was just saying that GNR didn't have that many albums either. No, right? no. But their but their success is just How, that's though? what I'm saying. Let's let's talk about that for a second because that's what I try to get across to people is like if you go back and watch the Freddie Mercury AIDS uh, benefit concert when Freddie passed, it might have been a live still. Farm no. Aid, right? No, 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 no. Farm Aid was Willie Nelson. What was what, what? that? Um, it was uh, Live Aid. Live Aid. And Axel comes out and does Bob Dylan knocking on heaven's doors, which they made a huge cut on Use Your Illusion 2. God, they do it live. Better than anybody. Better than Ziggy, better than uh, Bob Marley, better than Eric Clapton, and better than Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan wrote that song. But um, when Axel has that British jacket on and he puts the microphone stand in the air and yeah. just starts rocking, and there's, there's like 180,000 people out there in Wembley, I think it was, you you can't touch that what they did on the video for paradise city and giant stadium in new york you can't touch what they were doing they're 22 years old doing this shit 23 
And and I love what you're saying now. How in 2022 is it because they planned it and they didn't get along forever, and now people were begging for more? So they had some some supply and demand uh, success. I don't know, but it's wild, dude. You see the the stadiums that they sell out, like they sell them out. Have like you seen nothing? the South America tour? No, it's nuts, dude. Hundred thousand people a yeah. night in Argentina. I'm just that's what I mean. It's so it's so crazy. Now they're in Mexico with another hundred thousand. There's very few. People. Stones, Stones, ACDC, yeah. Iron Maiden does a big international audience, and I'm not an Iron Maiden fan. I, I don't dislike them. I just they're too theatrical for me. Yeah, just like Queen Drake was in Dream Theater. I went to see Dream Theater two, three years ago, right before COVID, and I was I was over it in one song. I think Metallica still does a pretty good show. I don't know if they're as big as I yeah. Metallica is powerful, but I'm just not a Metallica lyrical like they're just not innovative to me they're more yeah. of that power string like slipknot to me is is way more creative than metallica i don't know like i'm a huge i'm a big metallica fan and i do like what james hetfield does and i like kirk hammett jason newstead was i don't know the name of the new uh, bassist the indian guy yeah i don't know robert uh and then you got lars who lars is i don't know if i should say this because people are gonna go who are you to say that but i think he's almost a little overrated as a drummer I don't think he's that creative. I think he's a good power drummer, but I think like there's, I don't know. He's, I guess he's a good drummer, but like, if you go listen to what's his name from tool, what's that drummer's name from tool? I don't know. He's the best drummer in rock. I like, he's gotta be the best in history. A lot of people say that uh, Dave Matthews drummer, that black guy. uh, Yeah. He's good too. He's amazing. The Slipknot drummer's good, dude. Oh, and, he, and they got a couple drummers, but I mean, they're yeah, main they, drummer. They good, have, dude. It's almost cheating though, isn't it? It's almost too much. They almost have a, they're like the Zach Brown band. They have the bongos going. They got the drum set going. He's got some different bass, bass uh, drums the out there. But his double his double kick pedal is freaking legit, dude. <laughs> Danny Carey. Go listen to his drumming for the band Tool. He could be the most creative drummer. I don't know if Lars is overrated. I don't know. I think Steven Adler's a great drummer. The original from GNR. What about uh, who the guy they always tout as being the best? Neil, Neil Peart, Peart from Rush. Again, great, but I don't know if he's the best ever. I always wondered the same. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't know enough of Rush's catalog to know how good he is. I mean, I like their few real popular songs. I do like, but I've never dug into any of their albums. Jason Bonham, the original drummer for, uh, not Jason, but uh, John Bonham, the original drummer. His son's Jason for Led Zeppelin creative as shit yeah. this taylor hawkins guy that just passed away he was good yeah he dave was, grohl's a dave grohl's a stud drummer, drummer dude yeah but i'm not a is it weird that i'm not a foo fighters fan some of their music's kind of airy like i like some of their songs like monkey wrench is a one of the is you a got top pretty song. good taste in music though but overall are they a great band no like the the there goes my hero song it's just kind of like a airy commercial like, success yeah, kind of deal yeah. and maybe that's what it is too is I, I shy away from all the songs that are on commercials. And do you think that Guns N' Roses ever had a uh, uh, a parental guidance, non dangerous song like "Welcome to the Jungle," "Paradise City," and "Sweet Child of Mine"? "Sweet Child of Mine" is like a ballad, like "November Rain" kind of. They're iconic songs. I don't know if they ever were tried to kiss ass with the song. Right. Like they they committed career suicide pretty much with one in a million. Yeah being racist in it. Like right. they got away with that shit. Couldn't Axel's do that bodyguard now. was black carrying Axel out on his shoulders. Yeah. Wearing We're, a Charles Manson shirt. 
remember, Charlie don't uh, surf. Do you remember the November rain video? Yes, yeah, that was a good Seymour. video, man. They, that's what I loved about videos back then. They told stories. All of it, all the GNRs did the, the oh, yeah. strange video, Garden of Eden, the garden, the the video for though I guess the one for Patience doesn't. It's more of an acoustical deal. I don't know if they'll ever be a better band. I don't know if you can get better. All around. When you think about right now, they're still selling out arenas, a hundred thousand people in. You're talking what forty years ago, or not forty? What thirty years ago was, you know, when they were in their yeah. heyday, if you will, More and they're that. still selling out. Appetite for Destruction is thirty-five years old. Yeah, nineteen eighty-seven. You know, they play a bunch of tracks. At least the show that we saw, and you've seen more of them. They're still they rock their whole <laughs> show with six or seven songs off that album. Yeah, and they could go out and play for ninety minutes. They play for three hours, yeah. and they let the fans have it. Yep. I don't. I got to hear Axel right now because last year he blew his voice out. I know that he he had to have come back and and not sang enough during COVID, and blew his blew his voice out because he didn't sound good last year. Uh, <laughs> My friend was in Hershey, Pennsylvania for the show and stood in the pit front row, sent me videos. It wasn't good. I heard Vince wasn't sounding very good uh, this last year either. <laughs> but also these guys are getting old, dude. Like you said, if you're if if they're not taking care of themselves way more than they ever used to they probably do they hurt themselves yeah 10 quickly. years ago if you go back and listen to axel rose when he was the front man for acdc when brian johnson not even that long ago angus young literally says it right there the best rock and roll singer of all time is sitting right there and it points then the camera moves and it's axel being all shy the greatest of all he time he is good every octave and he can just i don't know i don't even know how he got going on this but meeting vince neil was freaking awesome. You know what's funny? I was gonna say too is we were driving in a on XM Radio the the Opry Channel. Chase Rice was the host on uh, Thursday Night Opry or whatever that was, or Tuesday Night Opry, and he said something about being in Nashville and going to uh, play with Aldine the next night or whatever. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Chad's going to that show. <laughs> yeah, because he did the Opry that Tuesday or Wednesday. And he called me on his way home from the Opry. And we talked about duck hunts were going on, his new dog, Jack, and um, this new song he's got way down yonder. Um, Chase is one of the greatest, as far as celebrities go and all around human beings, he's an amazing human being. Hmm. Courteous, well-mannered, loyal, just a nice, nice dude. Doesn't pull any punches, doesn't want anything, doesn't ever treat you like you're somebody that you're not, like... You know, Anna and her daughter, we were went and seen him at this little local place open to the public in Nashville. He says, you ready to go shopping? Took Tater in, took her shopping. Come back. You know what the sweatshirt said on it? Hmm. She's eight years old. Whiskey hits harder in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> we go, thanks, Uncle Chase. <laughs> thanks, Uncle Chase. Oh, that's um, funny. <clears throat> so I just think that, I don't know. I think it's cool to meet people like that that are, that are, could sign autographs for three hours after they get done working, you know, with all these fans, these fanatics, and they're just down to earth people that want to get back home and take care of their Buffalo. That's how it should be, dude. It's awesome. I don't know what we broke down today. We still didn't talk anymore about New York when you said we were gonna. Well, then you started bringing up all this other stuff. I had a whole laundry list of stuff to ask you about. Now we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, you know, like the main thing, uh, if you want to touch on a few things, go uh, ahead. Was the because uh, I want to go now. So what was the travel uh, stressful experience? Flying in, mm -mm. driving in, I drove driving in and around. flew back. You drove your yeah, that's right. You drove your big truck in with the trailer. Yeah, and then a lot of public transportation. 
None. None. If I if I told you the way that I did it, you would I wouldn't say this on in public of how I did it, but I would tell you behind the scenes, and that's the only way to do it. Now again, because it is a hustle and bustle. It's you if you if let's put it this way: if you rented a car, you're screwed. If you Uber, you're screwed. Um, you can get an Uber, and they show up quick. But then to go through Manhattan, you're stuck in traffic. Dude, we had one guy from Morocco. I go, how long you been driving? He goes, oh, I've been in New York City three months driving. I said, three months? I go, what were you before? He goes, I was a police officer in Morocco. We ended up in the drug the drug ghetto of Harlem. Excuse no. me, of the Bronx. I said, bro, that's a dead end sign. You go up this hill, we might not come back down. <laughs> he got us lost. I go, man. So anyway, that was the only night that I had to take an Uber. And then my this other thing started the next day. I'll tell you about it. It's Now... You, New York, I told you in the first part, is that you have to save up for it. If you're going to go do it right, it's it's spend. You said the other day, oh, yeah. $68 billion a year, whatever, in tourism in New York. Um, it isn't cheap. No meals are cheap. The sidewalk vendors aren't cheap. You go to a hotel bar. Now it's expensive, as expensive or more than Vegas. Where did you stay? The Intercontinental. And was expensive. I drove by the Home Alone motel like hotel like five times. Did you really? Wouldn't even let me in the door. And you went to Central Park. Did you see where the pigeon lady was and all Saw that? Saw all that. The Central Park, Tavern on the Green, beautiful, relaxing. Games going on, lacrosse going on, bocce ball going on, soccer going on, joggers, bikers. Um Yeah, if you're gonna do it, I could lead I could line you out. I'll do it with you. I know, we're going together. I'll do it with you. I, I'd love to go back, like I told you on the last one. Um, but as far as flying there, cakewalk. I, it was I, easy, huh? I'm thinking you're either going to go through three different places leaving Reno. You're going to go through Denver. This is all dependent on on airline, right? You're going to go through Denver, Phoenix, or Dallas. I went uh, on the way back. We went LaGuardia to Dallas to Reno. Coming back west against the jet stream, you were three hours to Dallas and three hours to Reno. Woke up in New York City that morning, and I was at a bar with Kid Rock with you that night at Kid Rock concert that night. I was exhausted. That was the same night, huh? Yeah, because, I mean, I woke up at 4 o'clock that morning New York time, which is 1 o'clock this time, right. and went home at 1 o'clock this time. I was up 24 hours. That's easy. Well, it's easy, but <laughs> we're traveling, and then what I had just got what I had just got done doing in, in Texas and oh, Tennessee, Ohio, then New York. I was in New York 20 days. Are you, fi- are you feeling recovered now? No, because I just got back yesterday from Nashville. How's and the that booze was Jack intake Daniels. going? What? We talked about a lot of booze on this show. How's the intake every night? Not bad in New York. You'd have a couple, but it wasn't like we were there to party. I had my daughter there. Jennifer flew Alyssa out, and it was a family deal. Had a couple at Hamilton on Broadway. I think they were like $34 a piece. <laughs> Freaking crazy. Um, but this last Nashville trip, the Chase Night, the Chase Rice, Jason Aldean concert, we went to a private VIP party after um, at Aldean's Bar on Broadway. And... I will say this. It was the most uncomfortable going out experience I've ever had. Really? It was, I don't know if if this is fair to say, but you're going to have to see next time you go there. I think Nashville is too busy. I honestly think it's too busy now. For real, the fire codes are being exceeded in all of these bars on a, especially on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But dude, you go there on a Tuesday and Wednesday now, Broadway is busy as hell during the summer. The winter, it's going to slow down a little bit, right? Because of the weather. But it is as busy as any place in the country. It's pretty mild, though, like weather-wise there, right? It could get cold. It snows there. We used to go in February. was 
Yeah, like be cold. You, it's been you, real not cold. Not snow, in, really, but it's I mean, been snowing and real cold, icy roads during NWTF in February. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. Just depends on what year. But yeah, we need to talk about it, plan it out. We need Yankee. We need to go for like eight days. You need a Yankee series. You need a Mets series. You might go during a Rangers game because this time of year, when I was there, you could have had uh, Mets, Yankees, and Rangers preseason. You could have Giants football because it started. You know, if you go to the Meadowlands or whatever that stadium's called, Jets football. Um, and then you got go across the bridge to Jersey to all the Italian delis. You go to you go to uh, Arthur Avenue over by the Bron- in the Bronx by Yankee Stadium, close to Yankee Stadium. Um, you got all the all Little Italy. You got Chinatown. You got Manhattan. You got Times Square. You got all the different boroughs. We didn't even see Long Island. We didn't do Harlem. We did the bridge. I mean, we did Harlem. We didn't do Brooklyn. We did the Bronx. We didn't do Queens. Did we you did know Manhattan. the bar the Bronx was uh, filmed around? Yeah, all over that area. All, the whole everything. The house that Ruth built, the Polo Grounds, the place where Old Yankee Stadium was, the New Yankee Stadium. Did you go or, to Coney Island? Went, no, we went to Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. Dude, I'm telling you, when you're there, you feel different. There's so much culture there. Were you doing like long days? Were you getting up early and just taking it all in all day and all night? Uh, yep, I was committed to it just because I had never done it. Um, we went shopping on Fifth Avenue. We did the toy store, like I told you in the last episode. <laughs> we did it all. It's top of the Empire State Building. Went there one day. It was so foggy because it rained the day before. We go up, and I told my guy that I'll tell you about. I said, "Man, we couldn't see anything." He went and pulled some strings. We went back the next day. Crystal bluebird skies. It's amazing vision up there. Amazing view, as really? you can, as you can assume. Yeah, but yeah. Just just everything from the food to the culture. To bouncing from this to that to Broadway to Yankees games to to the most amazing restaurants in the world. I mean, the most the the best food in the world's in New York City. That's what I'm most excited about. The sushi, the Italian food, the Chinese food, uh, the the hot dogs, the, the the pretzels and hot dogs, and the vendors on the streets, unbelievable. Like Nashville's starting to be. That's one thing Vegas doesn't have. Nashville and New York own that market. Food vendors, maybe Chicago too. Um, Chicago's another cool city, but I don't know if I want to go hang there either. Another 36 or 40 shot this last week and maybe more. All right, we got to go. This life ain't for everybody breaking it down. We're going to come back and Alex Crosby will have more questions for myself about the New York trip. We'll figure out something else. We got to talk about a lot of things. We got a lot of new events coming up, new episodes of Where the Payment Ends podcast you can find right now. Anna V's American Wing Shooting, Anna V and Jennifer Swenson at 40 Years to Freedom, brand new episodes of the Foul Life podcast, and Benelli's The Foul Life TV airing exclusively right now on the Outdoor Channel. This week we're in north central Nebraska with Larry Freeman and Ryan Ziegers at Black Goose at Adventures and Black Goose Outfitters. Amazing time up there with Tate Fogelman and my boy Justin Smiley, NFL lineman. Tate Fogelman had just won Talladega in the Nashville Truck Series race. Alex, you were there with me. Have you seen that episode? You need to see it, dude, where it shows us in the pit bouncing around I see, and kissing I've seen each that other. part of it. We're fired up. Got a lot going. Check out the providerlife.com for all your new rubs. Two new ones coming soon. The Mother Cluck and Chicken Rub and the Bram Beef Rub. Our cookbook has been a huge success for us. Thank you very much for all of that. And then check out jargongamecalls.com. Get the new Crazy Train the new wrecking ball, the new mega force. So much to talk about coming up in turkey season with our new diaphragm, slate calls, and box calls at jargongamecalls.com. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't for Everybody. We're going to go out with a Guns N' Roses song. We're going out with Breakdown 
Nope, I take that back. We're gonna go out with Guns N' Roses off Use Your Illusion 2. This video just came, the making of this video, the live video of this, this was the theme song of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator 2, do you know what it's called? You Could Be Mine. You Could Be Mine. Thank you all.